Being in charge and leading are two completely different things. At work, a person can be in charge, but not lead at all. At home, sometimes we allow our kids and their schedules to be in charge, but that definitely isn't leadership either. It's time for us to ask, where in the world is the leadership? This is the Leadership on the Rocks podcast, where we equip and empower leaders like you to thrive in and create harmony between your professional and personal lives. I'm your host, Bethany Reese, and in today's episode, we'll learn the difference between being in charge and actually leading, and how you can step into true leadership at work and at home. experience frustration at work because of a lack of leadership? Maybe it was a lack of communication about a big project or big event that left you feeling in the dark? Or it could have been about the lack of accountability for a slacking coworker? Or maybe your frustration was built on a lack of connection between your job role and the bigger vision of the company? Or maybe, and just maybe, you've lived out all of these examples plus more, and you're at the peak of frustration to where you might be contemplating actually leaving your job. If you're currently taking a ride in this boatload of frustration, you're probably headed down a dangerous path to cynicism or a lack of hope and burnout. Without knowing the details of your specific situation though, my guess is that you probably feel frustrated and floundering because you're experiencing a lack of true leadership. Sure, you have someone in charge or, you know, air quotes, managing you, you know, but um, they're calling the shots, but you probably don't have someone actually leading you towards a goal bigger than yourself. So what's the difference between managing and actually leading? <laughs> My friends, the difference between a manager and a leader, it will, it makes all the difference in the world. And I'm convinced that our work and our families are lacking true leadership. And that is why so many people are floundering. They have no one leading them. No one is showing them the path and encouraging them along the way. We've got to fix this. So today we're going to talk about how managing and leading are two completely different things. At work, a person can be in charge but not lead at all. At home, sometimes we allow our kids and their schedules to be in charge, but that definitely isn't leadership either. So in today's episode, we're going to discuss what leadership really is and how to step into true leadership at work and at home. But first, we got to define the difference. What's the difference between managing and leading? Okay, managing is up first. Managing, or being a manager according to Merriam-Webster's dictionary, is all about supervising, controlling, making decisions, and accomplishing an end. Meaning, you know, kind of like a product or service. Now, according to Michael Gerber in his book, The E-Myth, Revisited, the manager is all about the current systems and processes. The manager, in other words, like lives in the past, clings to the status quo, sees all the problems, or like he says, in other words, uh, the manager builds a house and then lives in it forever. I can't help but think of the sandlot every time I hear that word, forever. Okay, so managing now. I got to tell you, it's not a bad thing. It does keep businesses orderly. But at the end of the day, managing is not focused on people. It's focused on things. It's focused on tasks. 
Managing is checking a bunch of boxes about current systems and processes to keep things status quo. All right, now when I think of the manager type in the Bible, I immediately think of the Pharisees. So the Pharisees are that Jewish religious group that were super legalistic in keeping the law and the traditions of, you know, their fathers. They were managers of the law, the rules, the checklist, and they came across as caring more about the rules than they did people themselves. That's being a manager. So now let's flip to leadership. Leadership is all about people. It's about influencing people and hopefully for the better. Now, there's no better example of what leadership is than that of Jesus. He loves people and he is always focused on people. As a leader, yes, he had casted vision. He set the direction. He inspired. He motivated. And he even corrected behavior. But it was all around his one goal. And that's salvation for all. He placed the needs of the people above the man-made rules or traditions of his day. He taught. He taught people. He modeled. He taught them how to have better relationships, how to love each other, resolve conflict, and deal with anxiety. Jesus is the epitome of servant leadership and was full of compassion always. One of his many leadership examples is in John chapter 8 when the Pharisees and the teachers of the law bring a woman caught in adultery to Jesus. Now, I'm just going to say it. Where was the man, right? (laughs) The goal was to catch him, though, so they only brought the woman. So they reminded Jesus that the law said to stone the woman, but they wanted to hear Jesus's opinion in order order to trap him in what I would call the fool's choice, right? Only two options. I love his refusal to play their game, though, a fool's choice, as he says, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And I'm like, bam, Mike, drop. He is always focusing on the hearts of people, right? And the hearts of people, well, there's no one without sin, therefore nobody could condemn her. Jesus was always leading from outside the margin of man's rules, laws, and judgment. He was 100% focused on people. All right, so now let's switch to modern day uh, people who study leadership and, and research leadership. All right, so one of those ultimate gurus uh, that we've talked about even previously is John Maxwell. He's written a ton of books on leadership. Well, he wrote this book called The 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. And in that book, he says, and I quote, everything rises and falls on leadership. Let me say that again. Everything rises and falls on leadership. But why? Why does everything rise and fall on leadership? Because it is all about the people. And according to the number one rule of leadership, (laughs) leaders are always the lids on personal and organizational effectiveness. So if you have a copy of that book, that's on page seven, where leaders are the lids. So all that frustration we're talking about earlier around communication, accountability, and purpose at work, chances are you work for someone whose leadership lid is very low. And you're frustrated because you keep bumping up against it. You can't go higher. So having been in and around a lot of groups, organizations, and even families in my lifetime, right? I'm an educator that has served the public. I have been exposed to tons of groups of people, all right? And again, for me, it's becoming easier to see when groups are being managed versus when they're being led. So again, I'm convinced that in our organizations and in our families, we have an overabundance of managers, but we are critically low in leaders. Where in the world is the leadership? And I'm talking true leadership, true leadership in the workplace and in the home. 
Everybody is so busy with their tasks, their email, their schedules, they are not leading people. And leadership, like we've already discovered, is about the people. All right, now hear me out. We can't play the blame game here. So let me say this another way. If you are in a position to have influence over a project, a group of people, an organization, or a family, or even a friend group, your leadership ability is also the lid to their effectiveness. So while it can be them and their leadership, it is also you and your leadership. And it's also me and my leadership. Ouch, that one hurt a little bit. So what if you find yourself in a position either where you have no power or authority, or you've been managing systems and processes to keep things afloat or status quo? Well, you might be asking yourself, well, crap, (laughs) am I screwed up to this point? You know, for me, I have a 16-year-old. If I have royally messed up leading him through his youth, am am I just pretty much screwed right now because he's fixing to leave my house and be an adult? The answer to that is no. Thank God for that beautiful answer. No, not at all. So if you are beyond frustrated, close to burnout, or ready to quit at work, you can still lead to turn things around. Now at home, if your toddler or teenager, like I said, (laughs) his or her emotions and the demands that they have for freedom are running your household, and those of you in this season of life know exactly what I'm talking about, right? Their emotions tend to run everything in our households. We still have time to turn things around and lead our family. All right, now before we move forward, we have to first reflect on our own leadership abilities in general. All right, we can't sit here and talk about, well, yeah, my boss isn't a leader or my coworker, you know, they're definitely not leading their group. We got to start always with the self. So we're going to turn inward and we're going to reflect on our own leadership abilities in general. So as I go through some of the most impactful leadership skills, I want you to think about how you would rate yourself in these skills. But beyond that, I also want you to think about how would others rate you? And those two could be different. So now be honest with yourself. We tend to always believe the best narrative about ourselves when in reality, other people don't always follow that same narrative about us. All right. We always give in to our intentions um, and other people will be judging us by our actual actions, not our intentions. Okay. So let's reflect. How would you and then others rate your leadership from a one to 10 on the first skill, people skills. A one to 10 on people skills. All right, take a moment to think. Now think about how well you connect with all different types of personalities, people that are different than you. Think about your ability to listen and understand others. Your ability to have empathy. Ooh, that's a good one your ability to communicate clearly where your messages are rarely misinterpreted. (laughs) All right, have you got your number for you and what others think? All right, great, let's move on. Okay, the second um, leadership ability skill I want you to think about and rate yourself on is vision. Now, whenever I say vision, I don't mean uh, the character from the comics. I mean vision and mission. Like, where do you want the project or group to go? All right, rate yourself one to 10 on your vision skills. Think about how clearly you discuss the why and the purpose behind the vision or goals. How well do you explain the bigger picture? 
and connect the day-to-day dots of work to the bigger picture. Can people see it? Can people see your vision and follow it? They know where they're headed? All right, got your number? All right, let's talk about the third skill. Planning and strategic thinking. So rate yourself one to 10 on your ability to plan and think strategically on how to work towards the vision or goal. Is there a clear path? Does everyone understand the best practices and systems and processes that will move them forward to that vision? What's your number there? Planning and strategic thinking. Okay, a fourth leadership ability skill. Accountability. Rate yourself on a one to 10 scale and how others would rate you on your ability to hold people accountable to the clearly defined standard of ethic or work. Do you have the hard conversations with people or do you let things slide because it's easier not to, not to have that conversation? Now, if you have hard conversations, after that hard conversation, does everyone leave the conversation feeling valued, respected? Do they leave with their dignity? Do they leave with a clear path for action to improve on their behavior or production? What's your number on accountability? All right, a fifth skill. And this is the last one we're going to talk about. Now, there's tons of leadership skills out there, but this is the last one we'll, we'll discuss The fifth skill is results. Rate yourself on a one to 10 on your ability to achieve results within effectiveness, behavior, production, or growth, right? Just can you get results for whatever your goal is? Do you focus on progress over perfection? Is there like value add to everything that you focus on? What is your leadership ability rating one to 10 on results? And what do others say? All right. Thank you so much for reflecting. It's really important to always start with yourself. So while, again, there's so many other leadership skills we could talk about, these five are some of the most impactful when it comes to quality leadership. So now I want to remind you, no one is naturally a 10 in these areas, right? I'm sitting here talking about it. I am not a 10 in these areas, but we can constantly strive to learn how to become better in all of them. And that's the point. So while some days we're going to kill it, we're going to be a solid eight, right? Maybe some of you out there are a solid 10, but then other days we're going to falter and we may fall all the way to a two. Now on the days where we're a two of a leadership ability in a certain area, we need to own that. We need to express it to those that were negatively affected by it on those days. And we got to work our way back up to that eight, to that 10, to wherever you are, to whatever your ability is. So before we move on from reflection to application, let's kind of recap some things that we've talked about. All right, first is the definitions. All right, being a manager or managing is about things or tasks. It's about systems, processes, and status quo. That's a manager or managing. All right, second, being a leader or leading is about people. It is about influencing people, providing vision, planning and strategic thinking, accountability and results. Leading is about people. All right, third, as John Maxwell says in his book, The 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership, everything rises and falls on leadership. And one's leadership ability is always the lid 
on personal and organizational effectiveness. All right, leaders are the lid. All right, the fourth thing we've talked about is any frustration that you have at work or at home is probably due to a lack of leadership. It can be a lack of leadership or it could just be the low leadership ability of someone else. That well, or it could be you because you're not leading well and you're the low leadership ability lid. Now let's move on to application. How can we become better leaders in our given situations at work and at home? So we're going to focus on work first, and then we're going to take a look at the family. And I'm going to do this. We're going to talk about four different scenarios, two through work and two through home. Work scenario number one. You work for a manager and not a leader, and you are beyond frustrated with how you feel at work, right? Things are not going well. Chances are, if you find yourself in this situation, you're probably a ball of frustration ready to look elsewhere, right? You're, you're already looking, you got your resumes out there, you're on LinkedIn trying to make connections. I've heard it said before, and you probably have too, that people do not leave companies, they leave managers. So this just might be you. So what can you do? Remember, I am just a curator of information, so I'm trying to pull a lot of uh, information from a lot smarter people than me. So according to the book, Crucial Accountability by Patterson, Granny, and and a bunch of other authors, there's four options if you're in this situation. And no matter what choice you make, you just got to know you're going to have to live with the consequences of whatever you decide. So work scenario number one, you work for a manager, not a leader, and you're ready to quit. So according to the book, Crucial Accountability, you got four options. Options one, you can carp. All right, that means that you do nothing and you continue to be miserable. Or in other words, I guess you could choose to keep complaining about the situation, but you actually make no action towards progress in fixing the situation. Uh, That could be like a little passive aggressive there, right? So there's nothing more to be said about this option besides it's probably the worst of the four options to stay in the situation and do nothing but complain about it and not actually make progress to make it better. So that's option one. All right, option two is you can cut out. You can say, you know what? Uh, I'm leaving the company. I'm moving on. Done, period. I'm out. That's that's cutting out. That's option two. Option three, which I never really thought about before, so I really like this option in the book, is after much reflection, you, and they talk about this a lot, about telling ourselves stories. You tell yourself the rest of the story on why the situation is the way that it is. You you really take it from their point of view and whatever story you end up you know, saying you believe it. So this means that you decide the issue isn't big enough to justify ending the relationship, but you're also committed to not complaining or nagging. And again, this is not being passive aggressive. This is, you're actually not going to, you're just going to choose joy and forget about it. So an easy example to explain this is let's say your boss, um, every morning, every morning your boss comes in with their coffee and they talk to you nonstop for 15 minutes. They're just talking, 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 and it's not about work-related things. Every single morning, you're losing 15 minutes talking to your boss. You're really annoyed by this because you want to get in, get the work done, get started, and you have your own morning routine. Through thinking of it, you know what? You tell yourself the rest of the story, and you're you know curious about why the boss is doing this, and you finally decide on the story, and you believe it, that he wants to get to know you, and so he wants to talk about things outside of work so that y'all can bond and have a closer relationship that way. So you decide that, you know what, those 15 minutes aren't that big of a deal, um, and it's definitely not bad enough to sever the relationship, and you don't really want to bring it up and talk about it. So you just decide to accept it, and you know what, you switch, and you decide to enjoy those 15 minutes instead. 
So you just enjoy the 15 minutes and you move on through your workday. Okay, option four. And this is the best one for resolving the issue. You can converse. Now, I'm going to have a whole podcast episode on accountability and communication. So I'm just going to give you the gist here. But in the Bible, in Matthew uh, chapter 18, verse 15, Jesus says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Okay, did you catch this? Jesus doesn't say remain quiet and complain. That was option one. He doesn't say uh, to tell their boss before you talk to them. (laughs) And he doesn't say to run away either. Jesus tells us to have conversations with the person we're actually having the conflict with. So how can we converse with those we have conflict with? So now let's go back to the book, Crucial Accountability. Conversing entails that you do half of the work, honestly, in your head. You've got to think before you ever go have that conversation, you got to remove your own selfishness and your own prejudice. And you got to try to have empathy. Put yourself in your boss's shoes and try to understand what he or she is going through and why he or she, who is a reasonable person, might be acting the way that they're acting and causing the conflict in the first place. And then you got to think, well, how am I adding to the conflict or the gap? So then after you do half the work in your head, you go and you have a sincere conversation with him or her in one or two sentences, not a speech, one or two sentences, you lay out the gap you're noticing that's causing the conflict. And then you ask an open-ended, non-accusatory question to seek understanding from their point of view. So you have to go in with a goal to fix the gap or conflict together and then to make a plan. Now, I bet 50% or more of the problem is that your boss is probably overwhelmed and doesn't even know where or how to ask for help. So offer that help. Seek to know what's going on in their head and their situation and then try to serve him or her to help solve that gap or that conflict in the process. Again, I'm going to go into more detail about communication and conflict in a later episode. So that is work scenario number one. Work scenario number two. Let's say you're the leader and your team's having all kinds of issues. (laughs) In this situation, you're frustrated and the people below you are frustrated. But you've probably been blaming like other things outside of your team as the root cause for the frustration. Well, you know, this pandemic... (laughs) The truth is, in leadership, there's always going to be some sort of influence beyond your control that is applying constraints or pressure. That's never going to change. But it's your job as the leader to guide people through those constraints or pressures and to focus on the vision and mission that's within your control. A great example was when the pandemic hit. Every employer and employee everywhere was scrambling to adjust business with the constraints of social distancing. Now, some people led their people well through this transition. People felt comforted. They felt safe. They felt secure. And they laid a track to know how to work in this new environment. Others crashed and burned. (laughs) And they're causing people to quit. And now we have this great resignation going on. What can you do if you're the leader? Again, I'm going to kind of walk you through some options. First, you need to have an honest conversation with yourself about extreme ownership. You need to recognize that your leadership ability 
has been a lower level lid for all those around you and that you're the reason your team isn't thriving like it could be. That's painful sometimes, but we got to be honest with ourselves. Second, while your first instinct is to probably ask your employees about your leadership, you got to know that their answers are going to be a little bit whitewashed or watered down from the way they really feel. So that's, that's really honestly the power in OHI scores. They're always anonymous. So you need to ask across and up the organization. Find a higher leader ability peer who's at your level and knows you well, knows how you tick and how you tend to lead. Allow them to give you feedback on what they notice about your leadership ability in a crucial area that needs growth. You can even ask your boss um, for honest feedback. And here's another thing. Again, I'm going to have a whole other podcast on accountability. People do not give feedback, (laughs) specific feedback anyway. Another thing is you can seek to grow in your craft and your skills as, as a leader. That's your third option. Reflect, learn, apply, seek feedback and adjust. Listen to leadership podcasts. Find a mentor. Sit in on other great leaders' meetings to see how well they lead. Whenever you're going through a, a major situation or problem, seek information and guidance from people who are uh, higher level leaders than you. Help them guide you through it so you can grow that skill set. So that's work scenario number two. So now we're going to flip to home. We're going to talk about two scenarios at home where there's just a lack of leadership. So home scenario number one. Your kids run your house and your home feels more like a chaotic battlefield than the safe haven that it probably should. Now, just like in leadership, there are many different styles of parenting. And just like in leadership, there will be good and bad consequences to each style. In this scenario, you probably have the laissez-faire lawnmower or helicopter approach to parenting. For this specific scenario, your home feels like that chaotic battlefield with tons of drama all the time. Now, if you're that laissez-faire, you're the hands-off parent, you try to be more of a friend to your children rather than the parent, you want to be seen as non-controlling, so really, honestly, you just let everything go. Here's the deal, though. Children are not meant to be in charge. While we want to encourage their unique spirit, gifts, and personalities, biology says, honestly, that they do not have a full-functioning frontal lobe for executive functioning. (laughs) In other words, they are all about emotional decisions, not rational ones. Therefore, you cannot leave your children unattended and without structure. It doesn't work. These children could end up with major addictions. And I've seen it. Again, high school administrator talking. Vaping. Oh, my Lord. The amount of vaping in children. Alcohol. Drugs. Pornography. If you've given your child a smartphone, you have exposed them to pornography. I almost guarantee it. They can also develop unhealthy relationships, technology. They're just all in it and they can't get away from their phone and TikTok and all the stuff that they're in. They're addicted to gaming, a person of the opposite sex, right? They're having unhealthy relationships with that. Or maybe your children are having uncontrolled behavior. They're angry all the time. They're promiscuous. They're full of anxiety. They need you to teach them and model for them what responsible behavior is and looks like. Now, I need a side note here. I'm speaking completely in generalities. I am not talking about children that struggled 
with diagnosed mental, physical, or emotional disorders. That is something completely different. So everything I just said is kind of a, a generality. So that's the laissez-faire parent. Your kids need you and they need your structure. And parents of high school students, they need you more. Do not say, oh, you're old enough to drive now. See you later. I've done, I'm done with parenting. You are not done. That's when they need you the most. Now let's kind of switch to that second type of parent, the lawnmower and helicopter parent. Um, that is all about protecting uh, the children so they never feel negative consequences. So lawnmower parents hyper-focus on their kids' lives. They go ahead of their child and mow down any and all obstacles they will ever face so they don't experience them. That's the lawnmower parent. Now, the helicopter parents, they don't go ahead of their kids. They just kind of hover above them, and they're ready to swoop down to rescue their child from any tough circumstance or situation. With this type of parenting, lawnmower and helicopter, the children will never be held accountable for their actions, and that's going to lead to adults that never take responsibility for their actions. This type of parenting is usually based on, you know, some sort of codependent mindset. And these children are going to struggle to function as independent humans in the world. These parents are more likely to care for their children and their mistakes the rest of their lives. <laughs> All right, we don't want that. So what can you do if you find yourself in this situation where the kids are just kind of running your house? The answer is not much different than that from work scenario number two that we talked about. As a parent, you've got to reflect on your leadership skills and abilities, and you've got to seek to grow them. But parents, you have got to ask God for guidance on how to parent. So now remember, just like with communication, I'm going to have a whole other episode dedicated to parenting. So I'm just going to kind of briefly glance at what the Bible says about parenting. We're going to start with Ephesians 6.1. I empower you parents to take charge. Because in Ephesians 6.1, it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Ephesians 6.1, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Now there's another verse that kind of mirrors that exact concept, and that's Colossians chapter 3, verse 20. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. So if children are to obey, then parents, that means you need to be in charge. Now, that doesn't mean that you get to just have all the power and crush your children. Ephesians 6.4 goes on to instruct the parents. Fathers and mothers, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in discipline and instruction of the Lord. And of course, one of my favorites, Proverbs 22, 6. It reminds us to train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. You must train your children, spend time with them, teach, model the how and then the why to behave. So that's home scenario number one, where it's just chaos. You have got to grow in your leadership. Okay, let's talk about home scenario number two. You run your house, you are in charge, but you do it with an iron fist. And honestly, your kids are afraid to mess up because they're afraid of your wrath. <laughs> this is scenario number two. Now, in this scenario, I'm not talking about abuse, physical, sexual, mental abuse, emotional abuse of children. That is dead wrong, and you need to seek professional help immediately if your parent is at that level of harming your own children. In this scenario, I'm talking about where you care more about your own rules than you do building a relationship with your, with your child. 
this situation has you being a little more like the Pharisee we talked about earlier, where your own checklist of rules and demands is the most important thing. And your main focus is always making sure your children follow the rules to a T. Yes, rules and boundaries are important. But if your child is raised to do as I say, but not as I do, you have lost the opportunity for a greater and more fulfilling relationship with your child. So the goal here is probably more of the Mary Poppins approach. (laughs) Firm, but kind. Y'all remember that from the movie? Firm, but kind. So just like all the verses I mentioned in the previous parenting scenario, your job as a parent is to provide the structure and discipline and instruction of the Lord, but, and here's the last part, not to provoke them to anger. Now again, that comes from Ephesians 6, 4. When they're young, Yes, you're going to be more authoritative. You're going to be more like the teacher with direct demands on how to behave. But as they grow, you become, you have to make that shift to more of the counselor. You've got to get to know the heart and the why behind their thoughts and actions. But yes, you still use your teacher directedness when it's needed. And now when you're going through the tough years of being a teenager, you slide into more of that coach. You're helping them learn the skills needed to play the game of life. And as a coach, yes, you're giving them direct feedback, and you may be even putting their butt on the bench if they <laughs> if they mess up, right? Yes, you're probably going to offer some discipline that has them running a few laps, but you're also, and this is the important part, the crucial part, you're also their most important encourager and cheerleader. That's the coach. Okay, so we have gone through four hard but probably very real-life scenarios. So let's recap real quick about how to work through each scenario by providing true leadership. Again, our main question today is, where's the leadership? we got to find it. Work scenario number one. You work for a manager and not a leader. You're beyond frustrated. You're ready to quit. So what do you do? You need to have a crucial conversation with your manager. But don't go in with selfish ambition or a story in your head. Go in seeking to understand with the goal of resolving the conflict with a win-win approach. Scenario two, at work. You're the leader and your team is having all kinds of issues. What do you do? Reflect and come to the fruition that you are the problem. You need to grow in your leadership abilities. But the good news is, and please remember this, the good news is that you can So pray and begin to study and observe other leaders and grow in your leadership abilities. All right, now let's switch to the home. Home scenario number one, your kids run your house and your home feels more like a battlefield than a safe haven. So what do you do? You and your spouse need to remind yourselves that you are the parent and you are not your child's friend. They do not run your house. (laughs) You need to set structure and boundaries, model the behavior you expect from them, and provide discipline and consequences. Sounds easy, right? Just to flip a switch? No. It's going to take work. It's going to take practice. And yeah, this is going to be different for your kids. So you're going to go through conflict even in switching up how you're doing things at home. But it's worth it. Grow in your leadership and start making changes. All right, home scenario number two. You run your house with an iron fist and your kids are afraid of you. (laughs) So what do you do? Again, reflect and pray. Work to build relationships with your children that are not built on performance or around your roles, but your relationship is built on love. Yes, your children still need discipline and consequences, but you need to add in encouragement and love too. So that's home scenario number two as well. 
We have covered some very heavy topics today, but in the end, I want to leave you with this question. Looking at what God has given you to care for, whether it be a family, a friend group, a classroom, a team, a department, or even an entire company, are you managing or are you leading? My prayer for you is that you talk to God and pray and reflect and be open to true introspection about your own ability of leadership, and then work to grow in your ability. Now remember, no matter where your authority of power lies, you may have none. (laughs) It's okay. You can truly still lead. You can lead up, down, and across all of your professional, personal, and social groups. All right, God bless. Now, I want to remind you that all references from books and authors that we talked about in today's show is listed in our show notes. If you have any stories, thoughts, or questions that you would love to share with us, be sure to send us an email. Our contact email is in the show notes as well. Hey, it's Bethany again. If you're enjoying the Leadership on the Rocks podcast, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. Also, If you feel like this podcast is helpful, will you do me a favor and share it with your friends, family, coworkers, or anybody else who's trying to grow in leadership, but also wants that harmony between work and home? Thanks, and I'll see you next week. And remember, the most important rock you can build your life and leadership on is the rock of Jesus Christ. Today's Bible verse comes from Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others.